You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Now, John Wimber has uh, passed like 24 years ago. And it's just amazing as, as, as you hear what was happening, you know, at the beginning of the ministry and the movement in the vineyard, the signs and wonders, the, the, the kingdom activity, the proclamation of the gospel and the demonstration that the kingdom is here. And I was just amazed as, as he talks about, it wasn't until they're at the depot, the train depot, and they're getting ready to leave. And the guy's telling him about the report he's gonna write that he realizes what he's been pursuing is now happening. And uh, don't grow weary in, in doing well. <laughs> yeah. Continue to persevere. Yeah, and don't despise the day of small beginnings. You know, it's, it's those kind of things that just encourage my heart. Because when I signed up and, and I found out that there was more than just going to heaven and having my sins forgiven, that there was a plan in the, in the Father's heart to release heaven on earth, to see his kingdom come and his will be done, and to take back over the creation that he created, and once again have his lordship be the operating system instead of this worldly system that the, the demonic and the world functions out of. And when I see this, it just, it just really birthed a, a renewed desire to say, man, I, I, need to, I need to really embrace fully what the Lord has called us into. Have you ever heard me preach on healing? Has anybody heard me? Have we seen healing? Yes, but to the level that we want to see it, no. And it's like, okay, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come without limitations. We want to see the fullness of the manifest presence of the Son of God in our midst. And as he lives and reigns in us as individuals, we come together corporately to release something within the within the body of Christ that becomes a light and a glory that substantiates who he is. I find that it's interesting in some denominations, uh, I've got some of my friends, uh, I won't identify the denomination, but it was like, you can do anything, but don't you talk about healing. And there's a whole denomination that just really gets irritated if you start talking about healing. And I kind of understand where that comes from because if you've ever had someone who needed to be healed and you prayed for them and they didn't get well, then it's like it didn't work for me, so therefore it must not work. And therefore, we, we, we want to remove the emphasis of the gospel that speaks about healing and, and put it to the side and tiptoe around it and be careful so we're not offensive. And so that we, we you know, it's, it's really interesting. If we did the same thing about salvation, evangelism, 
sharing the gospel. Oh, I shared the gospel with a person and, and they didn't receive it and they rejected the gospel. Therefore, I think we should not do evangelism. We should stop doing evangelism because, you know, it offends people and not everyone's going to get saved every time we make a presentation. And it's that kind of thinking that gets into whatever dimension of the manifestation of the kingdom of God, wherever we have a disconnect, wherever we have a disappointment, wherever we haven't seen it happen the way it's recorded in the scriptures, we have a tendency to try to figure out a rational Western way of walking around that and dismissing it or diluting it, some way to try to make it palatable so that we could digest part of it. But I think the Lord says, no, no, no. There are more places now that pray for healing. <laughs> I'm glad that I was part of, of a denomination that believed in healing. We, we would have services for the healing of human hurts. And, uh, and those would be just wonderful. But getting back to the essence, it's not just the essence of the vineyard, it's the essence of, of the body of Christ. It's the essence of the church universal. And part of that is seeing the fullness of the message demonstrated and among us. So if you have your Bibles, and if you open them to Mark chapter 3, I'll be very quick. Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Wow. As we've been going through the book of Mark, in chapter 2, <clears throat> we see that he, he has the, the opposition begins to grow, and it comes as a result of the questioning about why Jesus' disciples didn't fast. And we looked at that. And then, as his disciples on the Sabbath were going through the grain fields and they plucked some, some heads of grain, then he was confronted with, why do your disciples do that which is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so we saw the relationship between fasting and, and, and the Sabbath, not only in the Gospel of Mark, but in, in parallel in Isaiah 58. <clears throat> now we continue with the theme of persecution and opposition growing towards against Jesus, and now it's over the Sabbath again. 
Here, I think, I think it's a setup. I think before Sabbath began, they found somebody who, who needed a, a, a physical healing. They saw this guy with the withered hand. They said, make sure you show up to synagogue the Sabbath. And so they're there. And they're there to accuse Jesus if he would violate the Sabbath and work on the Sabbath. It's like, oh, this is a setup. Have you ever been set up? I don't know if you've ever been set up. I've been set up. I remember the last sermon I preached as a free Methodist. It was a setup. They'd already voted me out of office. And it was a watch night service. And during that opportunity to preach, I preached on the Holy Spirit. My superintendent was there. Uh, the church was there. And I was just preaching my heart out, not knowing any of this. But I knew something was strange because everybody looked like they were at a funeral. And I'm preaching one of the most life-giving messages I know, and everybody's there like it. And I thought, what is going on? I find out later after the service that they've already voted to uh, terminate me from employment there. And I thought, oh, huh. So I'm projecting maybe when I read the text because it looks to me like Jesus is walking in to a setup. They're, they're, this, is, this is something where they're looking to accuse him and they're bringing someone, they, they've been around him enough that they know that he would be moved with compassion when he saw the nature of the man's hand. <clears throat> and so, and I think he, he understands what's going on. And so he wants to make it clear. So he, he gets the man and he puts him right there in plain sight of everyone. It doesn't like, okay, come on, buddy, we'll, we'll go over here into uh, the Sunday school room and, and, and we'll straighten out the hand. No, he knows what they're up and he brings, he brings the guy and sets him right in front of everybody. But then he asks all the spectators, everybody that's in the audience that day, about, is it all right to do good or to do evil? on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill. Now, if you're an English Bible student, you like repetition, isn't it interesting that Jesus in his, in his explanation of the Sabbath, can, is it to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And then at the very last verse, verse six, it says, and then they plotted how they might kill Jesus on the Sabbath. <clears throat> now, who's violating the Sabbath? <laughs> you know, it's just like, this is crazy. So there's Jesus. He's right there. He looks around and nobody responds. And he's, he's angry. Deeply distressed, the NIV says. Deeply distressed at the stubbornness of their hearts. See, he just, at the end of the last chapter, he just said, the Son of Man has authority over the Sabbath. 
and that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But in the religious system, the Sabbath was the litmus test to see how faithful you are and how devoted to Yahweh you are, depending on whether you kept the Sabbath. So he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And out of his hurt, his frustration, his distress, he just has to then deal with the man. And he tells him to stretch out his hand. And he's completely well. That's interesting in Mark's gospel. The whole, the whole dynamic of this is to show that the opposition toward Jesus here at the beginning of chapter three we still got 13 more chapters coming. They're already to the point they want to kill him. They want to kill him because he's upsetting their religious system. We'd rather keep the rules than have to live in a relationship. And now he's giving them an opportunity to understand the nature of the Father and the purpose of his commandments and they would rather just continue to function as they function, and they don't want any new revelation of the Father's nature. <laughs> now, what I find interesting, there's not one explanation, there's no, nothing that is written about the joy of the healing. The man with the withered hand I wonder how he felt. Well, if you've watched <laughs> The Chosen, <laughs> he's seen that he was quite excited, and I think they probably got it right. I can't imagine that you have a, some deformity and the Lord heals it, that it doesn't release some joy, some excitement, some exuberance, some praise, some thanksgiving, some adoration, some worship of the one who just performed the healing miracle. <clears throat> Mark doesn't even deal with it. The whole focus is they're stubborn and their hearts are not even able to rejoice with the one who's received a miracle. That breaks my heart. But when I look at this from another perspective, Mark has already shown that Jesus has healed the leper in chapter one. He heals many who are sick with various kinds of diseases and sicknesses at, at his mother, uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. <clears throat> we see that he's cast out demons. He has authority over the demonic realm. <coughs> Excuse me. And now he has authority over deformity. Hmm. I don't know about you, but sometimes the enemy tries to get me to look at different situations as unique, and I don't know if the Lord will, will heal that. You know, can the Lord grow hair on a bald head? You know? Does he do this? Does he do that? 
But here we get, I don't know if this man was born with a deformed hand or if the hand was maimed in an accident, but it was healed. And as we continue to want to take to the world the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God, then we've got to realize that if there is a deformity, whether it was from birth or whether it was <clears throat> as a result of an accident, a later injury in life, the Lord can heal that. He can heal that. Now, I've never seen this, but I want to see this, and I've heard it from people that I believe, and they've seen it, of where there is a loss of a limb, and a creative miracle takes place, and the arm grows, and the hand forms. What would that do if you, if you saw that? You know, all of these are, are, are just not parlor tricks. These are expressions of the kingdom of God. This is the good news of the kingdom. That the way sin and death and, and the order of evil in this world, in this realm, the kingdom has been introduced to it. And everywhere that the kingdom is introduced, there is a new sheriff in town. There's a new government, there's a new authority, there's a new reality that has been placed over that. Now we have the privilege of cooperating with that, and as we cooperate with that, we see that it expands and expands and expands. It first expands in our own heart, in our own life, and as that takes place, it's not long before it then starts to leak out to others. And we find that the influence of the kingdom is flowing through us, and it's touching the lives of those around us. And we get to see that go from those that are closest to us to those that we just come in contact with. I love church history that shows us that the anointing <laughs> that would be on some, the circuit riders of the Methodist church, as, as they would ride to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom from town to town, that the farmers, when they were working out in the fields, as, as, as the man of God walked by, they fell to their knees because of the presence of God that was upon a person. <clears throat> Have you seen that? Remember in the early part of the 80s, <laughs> I was at a conference and Paul Yonggi Cho, the Korean, South Korean, he walked right in front of me and I never felt anything like I felt that in that moment. I, I didn't know what it was. I was just a, a closet mainline believer who had a prayer language. And so I didn't know what was going on, but the anointing was so upon that person. I don't think that we need to strive to try to achieve some level of holiness that we have this great anointing upon us. I think we just need to realize that that is something that happens as we continue to just grow in our own journey of intimacy with Jesus with God the Father.
and with the Holy Spirit. And as that intimacy builds little by little, there may be a day that you'll walk by and there will be a sense of the glory of God on your life that will touch those that are around you. <laughs> it says that <clears throat> Peter's shadow would go by and people would be healed. They'd set out <laughs> the sick and where they, where they knew the route was gonna be, that his shadow might just touch. It's like, oh, there's something tangible in the spirit realm of God's precious kingdom that when that authority is released, it has great power and it will have an effect on the earth. So I say, Lord, <clears throat> let your kingdom come. Let there be a new authority over our lives as your sons and daughters. Let the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords rule and I acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. I submit all my fears and all my anxieties and all my shyness and all my introversion and my extrovertism and all, I, I just bring it all to you. And I just say, Lord, I want your kingdom more than I want anything. I want to know you as my King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to know you as my bridegroom, to be intimately connected with you for all eternity. I want to know you for who you truly are, not the religion that I've learned and not the, the thoughts that I've made. And it, I give you permission to cleanse, erase, change, shift, adjust, any place where my thought has been skewed to the point that it's not adequately reflecting who you truly are. I want to know you. So one of the ways that we'll avail of that is by taking that which represents his body. Hmm. There's so many different ways in which God expresses how he apprehends us. Sometimes he's without and he comes upon, and sometimes he's within and he's released. But here, when we go to the body of Christ in Holy Communion, we ingest. We receive it and we take something from without and we put it within. And we acknowledge that you are the bread of life. You're the author and finisher of our faith. And wherever we are in our journey right now, we just say, Lord, prepare us for the next chapter. And we receive this <laughs> that represents your body with thanksgiving. And we just say, Lord, we're so thankful that you've included us. <clears throat> now we want to include you and we want to yield and surrender to you in a way that will allow your kingdom its full opportunity to manifest in love and in power. We take this 
and we eat with thanksgiving in remembrance of you. We say, Lord, your blood is so powerful, so potent. Hmm. It's more than any concentrated cleanser that we could ever just add some water to and see it rip off the grease and grime and mold. Lord, it is our confession that your blood is pure, is holy, and is able to cleanse to the uttermost. Throw some of my old King James verbiage there. You're able to absolutely cleanse us to the very core. And as we receive your blood this morning, we say, let there be a cleansing, let there be a sanctifying that will go beyond anything that we've ever known. We pray that our desires would be aligned with your desire, that our selfishness would, would bow to the foot of the cross, and that you would be Lord. Let the sanctifying work of your blood. With thanksgiving we receive it, and in remembrance of you we drink. As the worship team comes to lead us, I just want to say, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's raining like cats and dogs right now. I believe that the Lord is watering the earth as he wants to water and shower us today. And as we sing this last song, just position yourself before him and let him bring a shower of love, of righteousness, a shower of peace, a shower of his mercy that you know more than you've ever known that you are his and that it's just starting. Whatever we've done up until now, we're just beginning. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.